0: It's good to be back with you. Thank you for the invitation to come and open the Word of God with you. I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I imagine uh, as the New Year was coming around, perhaps you began to plan out the differences that you'd uh, make in this New Year, uh, what you uh, would uh, resolve uh, to do differently. Uh, every Christmas time as I think of the new year coming, I start thinking of, you know, I've got to exercise more. There's, there's weight I, I need to lose. Uh, uh, I probably should go to the dentist this year. Yes. You know, th- those kinds of things where where you set uh, resolutions. You look across the, the previous year and, and you think of what's happened that year. You look forward uh, to the next year and you think of what you would like to happen uh, in the next year. And as we roll around the first of the year, it's a time in which we think about what's happened before and what will happen next. And there's a passage in the New Testament in which uh, the Apostle Peter, the one that you know is the most famous of the disciples, the most outspoken among them. Uh, You know him to be a great fisher of fish uh, who eventually became a fisher of men. And became a leader in the early church. Uh, Most of the first half of the book of Acts is about uh, Peter's leadership, Uh, wrote uh, a couple of letters uh, to uh, largely uh, Gentile churches spread into uh, the area that we would now call modern Turkey. And he writes to encourage them because of the difficulties of persecution uh, that they're enduring. And his exhortation in chapter one, I think fits very well for us as we take stock of what's happened this past year and as we look forward to what we would like to happen uh, this new year. Uh, Because he tries to set in perspective uh, the experiences that they're enduring. Uh, They're enduring a very hard time. Uh, They are subject to uh, mistreatment, uh, rioting, prevention from being able to buy and sell very easily. And yet, where should their hope lie? In whom should they place their hope? And I would invite you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to the first chapter of 1 Peter and listen to our friend, the Apostle Peter, as he writes to us. I'm going to read the first nine verses. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled by His blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ For a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." In light of the persecution and the difficulties that they are enduring, uh, we, in our experiences, uh, may find comfort as well. Uh, We're not subject to a lot of persecution yet in the United States, although, as you can see, our nation is becoming increasingly post-Christian. Uh, we're likely to find increasing pressure to accept the morals of the society around us and to live as they live and to accept what they accept as opposed to standing up for what Christ would ask of us. Uh, But these passages also apply uh, to other forms of difficulties that we experience. And you'll notice that he says, take your eyes off of these trials so much and look forward to what they prepare you to accept and to enjoy. He says uh, that we should think about the living hope that we have. Uh, We should concentrate on the inheritance that we have with Him in heaven, that we should rejoice in the faith that He has given us for the salvation that will be made complete when we see Jesus face to face. We should long to be received by Jesus and be evaluated by him at his judgment seat and be found to bring him praise and glory and honor because we love him and we believe in him and we long to have our salvation be made complete. Later on in the passage uh, that I'll open tonight, he actually speaks about taking our minds and girding them for action. In other words, concentrating with self-control on what's most important in life. This Christmas, we went back to Wisconsin uh, where my son and his wife. Uh, gave birth to, my son didn't give birth, his wife gave birth to uh, their firstborn child, uh, a new granddaughter for us. We saw the pictures, Uh, we even Skyped a little bit to see her move around at all, but uh, we had not yet bonded with her. And it made it uh, a joy to go back and meet her face to face, uh, get to enjoy her and my son and his wife as well. We have another son and his wife nearby and they came and joined us. It was a fun Christmas together with family and we were enjoying each other and the blessings that God had given us. But we received also word on Christmas Day itself uh, that my brother-in-law's father-in-law had passed away. And they asked us if we would come and join them at the funeral as soon as we got back to California again. And there was a contrast between the new birth of the new life of our latest grandchild, uh, we now have four, uh, with the contrast of a person whose life has come to an end and who's now gone to be with God. And it enabled me as I was thinking and uh, evaluating the previous year and making my resolutions for the new year to think of the perspective of what we face as a newborn child coming into this world and what it's like to have finished one's life at the very end. As we went to his funeral, uh, he is a veteran, and so we went first to uh, the military cemetery and and, uh, taps was played and the the honor of the flag being folded and presented to the family uh, was a a very interesting and uh, very moving experience. Uh, But as we listened to the eulogy of his life, we thought through his priorities and the influence that he has had on his children and on his grandchildren. And at that time, we received word that a dear friend of ours lost his brother, and he began to describe to me uh, the fight that was going to ensue uh, between the siblings as to who would get the stuff that his brother had left behind. How did he know it was going to be a fight? Because every time a member of their family died, there was a fight over their belongings. In fact, uh, his sisters, he said, had already left and rushed to his house to claim as much as they could possibly get as quickly as they could. And he says, I just give up. I just say, take whatever it is you want I don't care if you have something you want to pass on to me to remember my brother, that's okay with me, but I refuse to fight with you in these things. Do you notice that Peter speaks of an inheritance that's completely different than that which we work toward every day of our lives? Uh, So many of us spend so much time in the day-to-day caring for our living that we hardly think of the future and its implications. We hardly live for the right reasons with the right goals in mind. If we were thinking of a different kind of inheritance, if we were thinking of a different kind of relationship, if we thought of a legacy that would last from one generation to the next as to how we influence others, then we'd be much more interested in the long game uh, that Peter speaks of. Did you notice that he said in verse 2 that God set His love upon us and that He chose us before the foundation of the world that we would obey Him? What a thought! Long before we were ever a twinkle in our mother's eye, God, not limited by time and space, already had established a relationship with us, choosing us to be one of His, to be pleasing to Him by obeying Him. And consequently, when in time we were born and came to hear the gospel and believed and placed our faith in Him, He says that He caused us, verse 3, to be born again to a certain, sure living hope. This hope transcends any of the difficulties of the experiences that we undergo because it's a hope that enables us to carry on even through the sadness of the frustrating experiences that we endure. Some of us have had financial setbacks this year. Some of us have had health setbacks this year. Some of us just wish we could get along with our spouse. Some of us are saddened by the choices that our children are making. Uh, Some of us are frustrated with our work. Some of us wish we had work. Whatever these experiences are, he speaks past them as if they don't matter as much as our eternal destiny and the living hope that we cling to a hope that has become real for us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His victory over death by being raised by God himself, proving that his sacrifice on our behalf was acceptable to the Father, has given us a hope that when he takes us to be with him, we will receive, verse 4, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. No one can steal from us this inheritance. No one can trick us out of this inheritance. This is an inheritance that out of love, God gives to us. It's reserved in heaven for us. It's protected by the power of God. It's part of our salvation, it says in verse 5, through faith for a salvation made complete when Christ comes and reveals Himself to us, taking us to be with Him forever. In 2008, when the Great Recession came, Many of us found a reversal in our investments in the stock market. Uh, Some of us don't have much investment in the stock market other than perhaps uh, our retirement accounts in some sort of uh, mutual fund. Uh, But still, if you watch that, you would notice that it took a, a great reversal. Same thing with housing values. A number of people who once thought they had equity in their homes uh, found themselves reversed and that they actually owed more on their homes than their homes were worth. Trying to sell their homes, they found that no one wanted to buy them or could even get credit to buy them. It's as if everything that a person had set up for himself to protect himself was reversed by something as simple as an an economic crisis. Uh, caused by a housing bubble that burst. If we rely for our hope and our destiny and our protection and our ease of life in what we do for ourselves, we would be just as disappointed as the person who trusts in the works that he can do for himself to save himself. It will be destroyed. It will be burned up at the evaluation of Jesus Christ. But if we trust on what He wants to give us, if we live for Him as opposed to living for ourselves, we would find a surety, a certainty, a comfort that comes in spite of any kind of difficulty. Because these things do not fade away. These things cannot be corrupted. These things cannot be spoiled. They are guarded by God himself, by his power, to be revealed at the last time. Remember, he chose us to love him and obey him. He chose us even before we were born. We might say, if all this is so wonderful and so secure, then why is my life so difficult? And that's what I would like us to concentrate on in the next few minutes, verses six through nine. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, what I've just described, the certainty that we have with Him in Christ, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Most of us, almost superstitiously, uh, think that difficulties come into our lives either by fate or by something we have done to deserve it, as if we have brought these on ourselves. In the case of these readers, it's not something that has happened capriciously. It's not something that they have brought upon themselves. They're suffering. For their faith, they are standing true for Jesus Christ, obeying Him, and yet life is difficult to live because of persecution. I don't know if in your own workplace or in your own university situation, uh, you feel persecution by those who believe something significantly different from you and mistreat you because of that. Or it could be as simple as the day-to-day problems that you face. He says to us that we can have a disposition of joy in spite of our circumstances. He says that the trials that he allows into our lives are not meant to destroy us, but actually to refine us and bring glory to God. He says that the trials that happen are temporary, just a little while, only if necessary meaning that God controls situations well enough that He only allows in our lives the amount that will refine us and bring glory to Him, not so much that it would destroy us. And this is true of a great variety of trials in our lives. When we are enduring them, when we're experiencing them, they seem as if uh, they can be completely defeating and seem as if they're so frightening that we can't see past them. I told you that at Christmas time we were looking back over the past year that we had experienced and we were thinking about the various things that we went through. And in our own family, the big surprise for us in October is that my wife felt a lump in her breast. I went to the doctor, they said yes. Uh, That is a suspicious lump. Uh, She went through a series of tests. Uh, They said, yes, that is cancer, and they suggested surgery immediately. So for us, this is the year of breast cancer. My wife, as she was thinking about uh, the surgery and was uh, preparing for what the future might hold, asked me, do you think God is punishing me? I almost laughed out loud when she said that. I said, of course not. For what reason would He punish you? He loves you, He's not punishing you. She said, do you think He's disciplining me? We read in the Word how God, uh, through various circumstances, seeks uh, to discipline us at times. He tells us we're not a child of His if we have not. Felt his discipline. Uh, He tells us we should expect it, just as our own human fathers have disciplined us, so our heavenly father disciplines us as well. And I said, Carol, frankly, I don't think so. I don't think that he is disciplining you. I can't sense uh, that there's an aspect of your life that he is seeking to. refine in a way in which he says, you're doing it wrong, do it this way instead. I I don't think it's that." And so she said, well, why do you think I'm facing cancer? At this point, we didn't know uh, completely what the outcome would be, and as we were telling our children, uh, my oldest daughter, who's a lot like my wife in personality, uh, was ready to drop everything that she has in Dallas and rush out here to California and care for her dying mother. We kept saying, she hasn't even had the surgery yet. She's not dying. Uh, She doesn't need constant care. I live with her. I can help her through this. You don't need to come out with your three little children, six, four, and one, and care for your mother. But it is a scary thing to face something as frightening as the C word. When we went to the uh, surgeon's consultation uh, to hear the results of the biopsy, uh, she started drawing on her board uh, what cancer cells look like and where they're found in the breast and how they spread and things like this. And I was thinking, like, is she going to tell us the answer or not? What happened in the biopsy? I was trying to be as patient as I could, but I suspected she is warming us up to the idea that 30 minutes into the conversation, she's going to mention the word cancer. And it was true. That word did come out. And she actually said a few minutes later, now, if you're not hearing anything I've said since I said the word cancer, I'll give this all to you in writing. I have a whole big packet I can hand you. If, if you're totally tuned out and thinking and other things, I can give you something you can read later when you calm down. But if you notice how Peter writes how we face difficulties in our life, he says don't focus on how you can control things and how you prepare for the future because you're not in control of these experiences. If you try to build for yourself a human inheritance and a human security and a human hope, all of those things can be washed away. All of those things can be lost. Those things can be stolen. Those things can be corrupted. Those things are not sure. But if you trust in God for a living hope, for an imperishable inheritance protected by the power of God for a faith and a salvation to be consummated when Christ returns, then the experiences that we're going through are just bumps in the road toward a joyous future. As my wife was processing all of this spiritually, she said, I'm not scared. And she told her children, I'm not scared. You don't need to be scared. I trust in God. I'm willing to allow him to do whatever he wants to do in my life. Now, do you notice how freeing that is? You're no longer controlled by the experience, but you have a rock of hope in the person who created you and who loved you even before you came into existence. That is certain, and that is comfort. These trials that we experience are temporary, only if necessary, and, verse 7 says, have the value of proving our faith in the sense of testing our faith to demonstrate it is true. My father was a metallurgical engineer at Kaiser Steel in Fontana, Since I was born in Fontana and and reared in Upland. Uh, His job was to actually look at the steel molecularly. Uh, He wanted to make sure, since he was in charge of quality of six of the pipe mills, uh, that the pipe that they were shipping uh, to the various buyers was of the quality necessary uh, for how that pipe would be used. He was describing to me that the Production of steel involves stressing the steel uh, through tremendous heat uh, and through rapid cooling uh, to give it the ability to flex. If you think of a pipe, you don't want it to be uh, so rigid and brittle that if anything moved, such as an earthquake, uh, that the pipe would just snap. Uh, You want it to have a tensile strength, uh, you want it to have a flexibility uh, so that it can withstand the difficulties that it is uh, meant to endure. And he was describing to me that the steel improves through the stress process. If you think of our own lives, is there any refining of our character through stress? I've been in education uh, all of my life, and I have both been the student uh, working with the prof and vice versa, being the prof examining the students. And many a student I've had has tried to reason with me that they don't need to be examined that they have joyously learned everything that I've taught them. And it's completely superfluous for me to prove the truth of that by asking them to write a paper on that, asking them to do a project on that, or actually giving them an exam on that subject. But I remember when I was a student, and only that which is evaluated is... Uh, actually done with the greatest quality. Uh, And I said to my students, no, it is for your good that I hold you responsible for that which I teach you. And I even would give them descriptions of how best to prepare for the exam, what to concentrate on and what to study on because uh, this will actually help them solidify the material in their minds. To prove one's faith is not a bad thing. It's not to cause you to stumble. It's to actually strengthen your faith and your resolve to continue to obey God in even more difficult circumstances. And it even gives testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ actually has changed our lives is empowering us to live for him. Probably the oldest story in the Bible is the story of Job in which Satan appeared to God and God said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, well, the only reason he is obeying you is because you're so kind to him. Uh, If you weren't so kind to him, he would not obey you. In fact, he would curse you. And rather surprisingly, uh, the Lord allowed Satan to touch Job in his life. And if you read the book, you know the story and you know how it comes out. And Job, as a righteous man, could not understand the difficulties that he was enduring. And one thing you do know if you've read the story is you realize that God was honored and glorified and Job was actually comforted and rewarded for how he remained faithful to God through that interib- the entire terrible experience. In fact, he says, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. I believe in God that much. I trust him that much. I don't understand why he's allowing this in my life, but I trust him. This is the kind of gold that is refined in our life, though tested by fire, proves itself to be true. I don't think many of us could think of a more precious element than gold itself. Yes, you can purify it slightly by heating it to a molten state and removing any kind of dross in it. But most of us want a gold that is stiffer than that. The, the ring that I'm wearing here is, is not uh, 24 carat. It would be more like 14 carat because I want it to be stiff enough that it actually keeps its shape as a ring. Gold, though tested by fire, is proved to be genuine, and our faith, our trust in God, is actually strengthened through the difficulties that we endure. And when we go to receive the reward that he gives to us, we will find that it results in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Think in your life this last year of the experiences that you have gone through and ask yourself if there were times in which you just said, it appears God doesn't care. It appears as if God doesn't know. It appears as if God is seeking to squish me. I had a friend in college, my best friend, best man in my wedding. Uh, who I thought was the most talented young man that I knew. Uh, He was already accomplishing many of the things that I dreamed of being. Uh, He was already a youth director. We were both uh, studying work that could lead us into youth ministry. He already had a position in youth ministry. But in his uh, young adult life, uh, he made a series of, of choices that caused some major reversals in his life. The last time I ever saw him, we were standing in the parking lot at the edge of Biola's uh, entrance, and he said to me, I feel like I'm a paper cup that God has just crumpled and thrown away and will never use again. Those words have haunted me uh, through the decades until uh, several decades later, uh, Facebook was invented, and I got onto Facebook and tried to find my friends and started punching in their names. I punched in his name and found out I was the president at Emmaus Bible College. He was the dean at Letourneau College in Texas. I thought like, what do you know? Isn't it amazing how God doesn't give up on us, even though we will give up on ourselves, but that God redeems us and works with us and brings us back around to where we can serve him again and honor him and bring glory to him. When my dear friend stands before God someday, it will be for praise and glory and honor for the service that he has shown to Jesus Christ because God's love for him has never failed. And his love for God and desire to serve God, though squashed at one point, was not completely dead, but was awakened by the Holy Spirit within him uh, to seek to serve him again. I hope as you think through the past year and whatever the difficulties you've experienced, uh, you have not given up hope in God and have not decided for yourself that uh, this is where I should just turn around and serve myself, as you've seen in this passage, what happens to a person who lives for himself and who uh, seeks to accumulate as many things as possible? You think in our society, uh, the values that we have, uh, I would say for Americans, it has to do with our own personal pleasure. Uh, We would describe happiness as our highest aim. Peace uh, for ourselves, and we think that our own entertainment and comfort are the things that we should uh, crave uh, to bring into our own lives. Uh, but you'll notice that those things won't truly satisfy, are not lasting, can be destroyed, uh, can be corrupted, stolen, lost. The only thing that is secure is our eternal destiny in Jesus Christ as we have trusted in him. It's protected by the power of God. And so God may, if he wishes, allow difficulties into our life in order to refine us. We may think it's too strong for us to handle, but he promises it is not. One of my older brothers uh, was an electrical genius uh, since his youth. Uh, He eventually became an electrical engineer. When he was a young boy, uh, we had an electric train set uh, that was given to us at Christmas and it had a transformer with a dial on it that you could crank up higher and higher that would deliver more electricity to the locomotive and the train would go faster and faster around the tracks. Uh, he began to realize that this transformer could deliver electricity to more than locomotives, and he took the wire and hooked them up to two metal flashlights and Since uh, there was a dial, he realized that he controlled the amount of electricity and asked his friends to hold flashlights in their hands and uh, <clears throat> see how high they could go on the dial before they cried out uh, for mercy. Uh, after he'd done this to. Numerous ones of his friends, he decided to do it to his younger brothers as well. Uh, I knew him well enough to realize uh, that uh, he was not completely trustworthy. He promised that he would stop the moment I cried out. I didn't trust him that he would. Uh, but I decided, well, all I have to do is let go. So he began to crank it up and, and called out the numbers that was going by, and eventually it got to the point where. I was crying out and asking for him to stop, and though he had promised to stop, he did not. He kept turning up the electricity further and further, and I came to the point where I was going to drop the flashlights, but I discovered that there was so much electricity going through my hands and my arms, they were actually curling inward, and that the muscles were squeezing tighter and tighter to the flashlights, and I could not let go. I don't know what dial number we went up to, but it certainly was past uh, any point that I had intended uh, to endure. And one would think that that's how trials come into our lives, that they will destroy us rather than welcoming them as necessary, remember that's what he says, necessary parts of our lives that are only temporary and meant to get past to the other side, having had our faith refined and honed so that the direction and the values of our lives are actually reoriented towards the truth, that we're not clinging to the values of our society, that we're clinging to the values of God. Sometimes the trials actually form into temptations. James tells us that these temptations are actually of our own device, that we build, bait, and catch ourselves in our own tempting circumstances. We are told in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that these temptations are not unique to us, uh, that we all as human beings uh, are facing the same kinds of temptations and that God can be trusted that with every tempting circumstance that He can give us the way of escape. We can either take Him at His word at that or we can say to ourselves, no, the temptation is so strong I have no choice but to give in to the temptation and sin against God. Trials can actually refine our faith and prove to us the truth that the empowerment of God can meet our needs, even in tempting circumstances. So that when He promises the way of escape, we believe Him for that and are willing to faithfully, with joy, in Him, not in the circumstance, there's no reason to take joy in the painful circumstance, but joy in our relationship with Him so that we can endure these difficulties without sinning and remain pleasing to God all the way to the end. Listen again to the closing three verses of the outcome of our trials. Verse 7 says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." John wrote to us that he has no greater joy than seeing his children going on and serving the Lord. And as I see students that have once uh, sat in my classrooms uh, teaching someone else what I taught them, there's no greater joy than that. If I watch my own children, of which I have five, grow up and of their own free will choose to serve the Lord, I have no greater joy. And to sit in a funeral shortly after Christmas and hear my relative's life re-explained and examined and to see his children and his grandchildren there, it reminds me of the opportunity and influence that we have to rear our children in the ways of the Lord and to help them as they seek to rear their children, our grandchildren, in the ways of the Lord. And it is of no greater joy than to see the faith that we have passed on to our children and then our children's children. And if the Lord's perhaps even our children's children's children. May the Lord graciously honor the faith that He has enabled us to exercise as we trust in Him, not in circumstances, and as we focus not so much on the trials but on the outcome an inheritance that is secure preserved in heaven, protected by the power of God, bringing praise, glory, and honor to Him when He returns for us. Father, I thank You, therefore, on the basis of Your Word, for the truths that You have taught us. Uh, Certainly they don't seem to make sense in one way when we just look at uh, what has happened in our lives. Uh, There are times in which uh, we would doubt. But, Father, we know from your word and from experience of how you've worked in our lives previously and the testimonies of how you've worked in other people's lives that you are trustworthy and that what you have promised will come true and that we can rely on you. We think of the man who wrote these words that we're reading so many years later, the man who Though he was willing to wield a sword to prevent our Savior from being arrested, not soon afterwards was not willing to stand up and admit that he even knew Him and denied our Lord three times. But Father, we think of how Your Son did not reject Peter but hunted him down, found him back fishing again and commissioned him not to be a fisher of fish, but a fisher of men, and even more so a shepherd of sheep, a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, an apostle. And I thank you, Father, that the wisdom that we hear from Peter's mouth is wisdom of experience, of knowing the difficulties in life, and yet choosing that which pleases you. We thank you that he was willing to be true to you, even to his martyrdom. And we pray that we would be faithful to you and honor you and bring glory to you. Thank you for your love and your care in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.